pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. to talk about this morning the end time I know we're celebrating his first coming but I want to talk to you about his second coming and I want to talk to you mostly about how we're to prepare for that second coming because it's going to be a rough ride uh, between now and the time that he actually returns so Matthew 24 chapter or chapter 24 verse 3 I'm going to read, read down to the 14th verse in the King James Version. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, the world is not going to end. This is a Greek word that was translated world here in the King James. This actually means age. So, uh, and of the end of the age and Jesus answered and said unto them take heed these are one of those 14 take heeds we talked about take heed that no man deceive you uh, so it's telling us there's going to be much deception in the end days for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many and it's not just saying that I am the physical Christ it's talking about uh, the things of Christ or the things of God, like there's going to be churches that are saying that they're Christ or Christ-like and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. It's taking all I got to just keep reading this and not stopping and camping on some of these things, but. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity or sin shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, if you don't think that he's describing today, today's uh, end times as being today, I mean, there's deceptions and lies and wars and rumors of war and nations against nation, kingdoms against kingdom, famines. And I know when... We hear the word famine, we think about Africa or one of them third world countries, but I'm telling you, it's right here in this country. It's right here in, in Louisville and the bluegrass state of Kentucky and Indiana. I know we have people here from Indiana, uh, and it's, it's in our state. Uh, you know, or as you know, we contribute to Dare to Care, which is a food bank, every month, and they're feeding thousands and thousands and they just keep needing more and more food and that's right here so there's famines 
And uh, then we have pestilence. We can camp here for a week with all the pestilence because pestilence includes COVID and Delta and Omicron and all the other variants. Earthquakes, hatred, offended people. Imagine that. Betrayal, false prophets, sin, and the, and the love of many is going to wax cold. And we're seeing all of that today. And then verse 13 says, But he that shall endure unto the end. We've got some enduring to do if we want to make it to the end. The same shall be saved. Well, I thought I was saved. Well, you're saved being saved. But you won't be saved till he comes. Amen. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, I don't know when that's going to be, but we got to be close. I mean, with the technology we have and all the preaching, you know, uh, I've always said the last thing that the world needs is another television preacher or another preacher on the radio. Amen? And same with Facebook and all the other social media things i ain't real big on that i do it because i know we have some shut-ins and we have people that just can't get here so uh we do facebook and we do youtube and spotify and stuff like that but uh last thing they need is another preacher <laughs> preaching to them on on social media but anyway we're living in the these troublesome times uh, which we call the end times as a matter of fact some some preachers saying this is the last days of the last days you know we're right in the the throw of jesus return and jesus is telling us here not only to prepare but telling us how to prepare and i know he's preaching to the jews he's telling the jews this and uh, he's on the mountain he's speaking directly to them but this applies to the church as well some of these events don't apply to the church that he's talking about and some of the events in revelation don't apply to the church but these warnings and these signs that he's given applies to the church. He wants the church to be aware of his return. And he's given us signs to show us how close we're getting. And so, uh, and the reason he is because there's some things we're going to need to endure. And if we're following God's will for our life, we'll notice that his will is always progressive, just like the word of God is progressive. It takes you from one place to another to another, but it's always uh, going up. It's always going deeper. It's always going further. It never goes backwards. It's progressive to the front. Amen? For example, we're not going to turn there, but the prophet Ezekiel, and I've taught on this before, his experience walking in the river, you remember that, don't you? He had a vision of a river that flowed from heaven to earth. It came from the throne of God, went under the door of the temple, and flowed into the earth. And he had a vision of that. And in his vision, an angel would measure a distance into the river of a thousand cubits, which is about 1,750 feet in our type of measurement. And then he'd walk Ezekiel into the river, and every time he stopped... He found himself in water that was a little deeper than the last place that he stopped. So he was progressing into the river, going deeper and deeper. First, he found himself in water that was ankle deep. And then the angel measures out another 1,750 feet, and he finds himself in water that's knee deep. Then the angel takes him out another 1,750 feet. He finds himself in up to the loins or waist deep in water. And then finally, he takes him out another 1,750 feet, and he finds himself in water that's over his head. 
His little toes can't touch the bottom anymore. And nobody likes to be in that position. Amen? We like to be in control. We like to have our feet on the ground. We like to be able to control how much further we're going to go or if we're going to retreat and go back. But, you know, the different depths of the river represents Israel's walk with God. And through the law of double reference, it represents our walk with God. You know, the further into the river you go, the deeper it is. And there's spiritual significance here because we can say, well, obviously we know God is on the throne. And the water that flowed from the throne under the door of the temple into the earth, we could say is the Holy Spirit, the flow of the Holy Spirit. Because if you read the entire account of his vision, everything that water touched, it brought life to it. It brings life everywhere it goes. And that's how the Holy Spirit is as well. So in Ezekiel's vision, the angel led him into the river at the different intervals. It took him deeper and deeper and deeper until finally he's in water that's over his head. And that's how God does things. That's how you progress in the things of God and progress in the kingdom of God. A little at a time, one step at a time, a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. God never does like your big brother did and throws you in at the deep end so you learn how to swim. Yeah, it ever, that ever happened to anybody? Good, I'm in good company then, because that's how I learned how to swim. That's how I learned how to drive an 18-wheeler, too. My brother-in-law put me behind the wheel, and he got in the sleeper. He said, go. <laughs> but God doesn't do that. He takes us one step at a time. We're walking out the steps of faith. One step. Not a giant leap, not a run, just a walking out the steps of faith. One step at a time. Get used to that ankle deep and then go out knee deep. Get used to that and go out to waist deep until you're out and you're swimming. You're, you're over your head. Amen? But we feel safer if we can touch the bottom. And like I said, it gives us a sense of control. But until we get in over our head in the river of life, in the life of the Holy Ghost, in the flow of the Holy Ghost... Uh, we're never going to give God complete control of our life because as soon as things start going the way we don't want them to go or they start getting a little tough or hard, we just turn around and tippy-toe right back out of the river. God wants you in over your head so that he's in control. You flow with the river just like you would a real river. You know, if the river is moving, you're going to be moving with it. And that's the way it is with the Holy Spirit, the flow of the Holy Ghost. God wants you to move, he'll move you in the flow. If he don't, he'll stop you. If he wants you to go the other way or make a right or left turn, he'll, he'll turn the river. But God is in control, and that's the main thing that we have to understand. But the different depths represented different commitments to the kingdom of God. And they all pointed to a deeper walk with God because it progressed deeper and deeper and deeper until we were in over our head and rendered our lives to the Holy Ghost and the will of God. Uh, but it leads you into a deeper relationship, deeper in the Word, deeper in prayer, deeper in your commitment, deeper in your ministry or the things that you're doing for God. And the deeper the water, the deeper the commitment. And a lot of people don't like that. I had to get used to it too. Nobody really likes more commitment. That's why he takes you out a little bit at a time, gets you used to the temperature, used to the depth of the water, used to the movement of the water, 
And then he takes you out a little deeper into more commitment. And uh, we're living in the end times and we're at a time on God's prophetic clock where we have to go deeper into our relationship with him, deeper in the word, deeper into prayer, deeper into all the things of God. If we're going to endure to the end, you're not going to do it on your own. I'm going to tell you that right now. You better get in the flow of the Holy Ghost because he's the one that's going to get you through. So we're at a place in time where we need to strengthen, strengthen our relationship. And uh, that's what, like I said, that's what really gives us the, the ability to endure. But I want us to look at another admonition. This is from the Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and where he's telling us to enlarge and expand our walk with God, just like Ezekiel was. Uh, Isaiah is telling us the same thing in Isaiah 54 and 2. He says, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Now, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the natural, but we're going to take a deeper dive into it and it's going to make a lot more sense. And then the same passage of Scripture, this time in the Message Bible, he says, clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope and drive the tent pegs deep. Drive the tent pegs deep. I don't know how many campers we have in here. Uh, or if you was in the service, you know what it's like to live in a tent for a while. And... Uh, Storms come, the winds blow, water falls, and some of it comes under the tent. And I'm telling you, if you don't have that tent staked down, you're going to be sleeping under the stars because your tent's going to be gone. But God is challenging us in this passage of Scripture, and he's asking us to get a vision. Not only a vision, but he says, get a big vision. How many knows he's a big God? He can handle big visions. Amen. Don't let your little finite mind and that little peanut brain tell you how big a vision you should have. Let your spirit dictate that to you. Because God will give you a big vision. He's not afraid of a big vision. And he can fulfill it. And he's asking us to change the way we think. And he's asking us to stretch ourselves like those ropes. Stretch ourselves like we've never been stretched before. But that's what it's going to take. If you want a, a, a deeper walk with God, a, a better relationship with God, you want to endure to the end and, and make it to the end, this is what you have to do. Now, here's where we'll get a little spiritual. The tent represents our life. The tent represents our life, and he wants us to enlarge the place where we live. Not physically, guys. Don't do it like me. I've been enlarging the place where I live for a long time. But... It represents our life, and he wants us to go big with it. And, you know, we have to make sure that we protect our tent, make sure it's, it's strong and the stakes are driven deep. We want to make sure we protect our tent, but not only our tent, but we want to protect everything that's in it. We want to protect all the things that God gives us. We want to shelter it in this tent and keep it protected. And we don't want our tent or the contents or both of them to be blown away in the storms of life because the storms of life are going to come. And, you know, we can't, uh, you know, 
You don't wait till it's raining before you pass the roof. You pass the roof when it's dry and the sun is shining. Amen. Same thing with your tent. You don't try to strengthen your tent when the, your pegs, you find out your pegs are getting pulled out because they're in mud and they're not deep enough. The mud only goes so deep. And that stake has to go down further than the mud. It has to go down into some solid, dry ground. And it will stand up for you. God sent Isaiah to King Hezekiah and told him to get his affairs in order because he was going to die. It's nice when God warns you ahead of time, right? And, uh, but King Hezekiah, he was a pretty young man. He turned his face to the wall and he cried out and asked God for mercy. And God spared him and gave him another 15 years. But eventually he had to die again. But hey, 15 years, I take it. Back when I had that COVID pneumonia, I was uh, settling for one day at a time. <laughs> you know, I take another day, Lord. I take another week, a month, a year. And the stronger I got, the more bold I got. And my vision increased. You know, I, I want years. I got some things to do. I need more years. Amen. But if you got, if you're small in your mind and your vision is small, you're thinking. Just give me enough time to get my affairs in order. Like Hezekiah, you know, God was giving him time to get his affairs in order. You know, get that will straightened out. Make sure it's witnessed and signed. And, you know, make sure your bank accounts are straight. And make sure your wife has all the bank account numbers and insurance policy numbers and all of that. That's small thinking, though. We need to think bigger than that. And we need to say, Lord, give me more years. I need more years. Amen. But anyway, he gives him 15 more years. But then here's the interesting part. Later on in life, King Hezekiah writes a poem about the experience that he had when God told him to get his affairs in order because he was going to die. And he turned his face to the wall. But he referred to his life as a tent. See, I just don't pick these things out of the clouds. You know, I have reasons for saying things like this. But he wrote in part, and he said, in the prime of my life, and I've used this passage of Scripture for funerals. He says, in, in the prime of my life must I now enter the place of the dead. And back then it was, for a believer, it was paradise. For a non-believer, it was hell. Uh, you can look at the story in Luke with uh, Lazarus the beggar and the rich man. But then he says, am I to be robbed of the rest of my years? I said, never again will I see the Lord God while still in the land of the living. See, he didn't say he'd never see the Lord, but not while he's still living in this land, in the earth. Never again will I see my friends or be with those who live in this world. You know, I got friends in heaven. I'm going to see them again, but I'm not going to see them here. So for these people I always see in their relatives come back and talking to them in that. Ain't happening. It's, they might be talking to somebody, but it's a, a demon spirit. Because you're not going to see your friends or anybody else that you lived with in this world once you die or once they die. And then he says this. My life has been blown away like a shepherd's tent in a storm. That's where I get tent life. Life represents a tent. The tent represents life. His life was blown away like a shepherd's tent in a storm. 
It has been cut short as when a weaver cuts cloth from a loom. Suddenly, my life was over. That's Isaiah 38, verse 9 through 12. But he says, suddenly my life was over. See, that's why we have to get things ready now. We have to prepare now because all these things we procrastinate and put off into the future, you might not get to do them because suddenly you'll find that your life is over. And, you know, we can always say, well, I'm getting ready. I'm preparing. And that's great. That's better than not doing anything at all. But I have to warn you, getting ready is not ready. Preparing is not ready. If you die when you're preparing, it's going to be a whole lot different than if you died when you were ready, already prepared, nothing left to do. Amen? Because then it's too late. You can't get anything done then. And I'm wondering, maybe King Hezekiah didn't take care of his tent like he was supposed to. That'll cause a suddenly in your life. Maybe he didn't lengthen his cords or strengthen his stakes. That'll cause your tent to blow away early. Maybe he didn't drive his tent pegs deep enough. And he hung on for a while. He could hang on for a while, maybe a long while. But eventually the pegs pull out the tent. Your life blows away like a shepherd's tent in a storm. So, you know, I think that's describing a life that was cut short, a life that was taken too soon. And that's how I use it in in funerals sometimes. If it's a younger person, I might use that passage of Scripture because it's like uh, his life was taken or blown away like a shepherd's tent in a storm, suddenly. But God gave us this life. He gave us this tent. But the size of the tent, the strength of the tent, And what we put in the tent or accumulate over the years, what we put into the tent is entirely up to us. We determine the size of our tent. We determine how strong it's going to be in a storm. And we determine the things that we accumulate in life that are going to be sheltered by that tent. Amen. And I know one thing, God wants us to live large. He tells us that, you know, Jesus said that the devil came to kill, steal and destroy But he came to give life and that more abundantly, abundant life. He wants us to live large. He wants to give us the Zoe kind of life, the God kind of life. So God wants us to live big. And he's saying if we want more, we have to prepare for more. That's why he says enlarge the place of your habitation. You know, more ground, bigger tent, longer ropes, more stakes, deeper stakes. You know, he's telling us. We have to prepare for more because if he has something he wants to give us and we don't have room for it, he can't give it to us. And that's spiritually speaking. That's physically speaking. You know, if you want uh, four cars, you don't build a one car garage. You build a four car garage. You make sure that you have room enough for the blessing. It's the same principle with tithing in Malachi 3.10. He says to bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith. Test me and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that you will not have room enough to receive. So what is he telling us? What I have for you is bigger than that little vision you have. 
And if you want more, you're going to have to prepare for more, and you're going to have to make room for more. Because when the blessing comes, if you don't have room for it, you're not getting it. And we can go a lot deeper spiritually concerning that as well, because it has more to do than just building a bigger tent. It's having the capacity in your life and in your heart and in your spirit to take on bigger things and larger things. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So if we want more out of life, we have to prepare for it by making more room. And this comes with going deeper. It comes with a larger relationship. You know, the bigger your relationship or the stronger your relationship with God, the more you can handle and the more he'll give you. Whether it's material things, money, or whether it's just more responsibility. Uh, The parable of the talents, we see that. You know, the one who was the most responsible got the most responsibility. But he also got the most blessings, the most rewards. Amen? So everything Isaiah is talking about here is is, uh, talking about things that have spiritual significance. The ground, the tent, you know, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. The tent, he's talking about the size of it. The ropes, the length of them, the stakes, and the different depths of the stakes, we can say. And this tent he's speaking of not only represents our life, but it represents the covering of God over our lives. That's why the things that we cherish, the things we love, uh, you know, our family, our loved ones, our friends, we want to get them into the tent under the covering under the covering of God, under the shadow of the Almighty. Why? For protection. They're safe in that tent. If you prepared that tent right, you put into it the things that it needed to have in it, you had the the longer ropes, the, the, the deeper stakes, and they were driven deeper, and you know that tent is prepared for any storm that comes its way, then you'll be confident to get the things that you love into that tent because you know they'll be protected there. Because if the tent don't blow away, it ain't going to blow away. Amen. Amen. So, uh, (laughs) but we want our families under there, our loved ones. And if they're not there, then it's our prayers that will get them there. Get them under the covering of God. Get them under the covering of the tent. And it's our prayers that's going to keep them there. Amen. If they're in there now, you continue to pray for them, strengthen them. But if they're not in there, you pray even harder to get them in there. Because every family got some under the tent, some not. And, uh, but you can see why it needs to be enlarged and well anchored, because you want to make room for whoever you want to get under that covering, right? The anchors that secure the tent... And keep as strong are the stakes or the pegs. The bigger the tent, the bigger and stronger the pegs need to be or the stakes need to be. And uh, I've been to circuses before, tripped over them ropes that are going out to the pegs. But I'm telling you, they were big, thick ropes. They were long. And those stakes, they had to drive in with a sledgehammer. But I was also slept in pup tents where you had a little stake that you push it in so far with your hand and then hit it with your foot. 
or hit it with your little portable shovel that they gave you. But it wasn't really that strong. And if it got a lot of rain and got muddy, they would pull up. Or if somebody was walking by your tent, tripped over it, he would pull that stake up, you know. It wasn't a very secure tent, but uh, in average weather, it kept the, the rain off your head. But that's about all it did. Uh, so the ground, the tent, the ropes, the stakes. And uh, the bigger the tent, the bigger the stakes, and the deeper they must go. And I believe that these stakes have a lot to do with our Christian character. Because this is where our strength comes from. It has a lot to do with our relationship with God. Because this is where our strength comes from. A relationship with God and the Holy Ghost. The word of God, it strengthens us, it gives us faith, and it makes us stronger. Amen? So I believe these stakes, the, the stronger they need to be, the stronger you need to be. And that comes only one way, and that's through a deeper relationship. And uh, they have to be stronger to keep everything in place. And I'm telling you all this because I want to see every one of us move to a place uh, of greater blessings with God. And the only way we can do that is move into a deeper relationship with God, a, a stronger relationship with God, a stronger relationship with the word and our faith. Because uh, uh, the Bible says that we can overcome anything with faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world. And uh, that victory is our faith. So the more faith we have, the more victory we have. But it, it says it can overcome anything in the world. I don't care what comes at us. Our faith can overcome it. But you've got to have a strong relationship with God, a strong understanding, and a strong relationship with the Holy Ghost, a strong relationship in the Word of God. Because faith comes by hearing. It comes from the Word of God. But your, your strength and exercise in faith comes from tests and trials. It comes from the things you go through. And, you know, Pastor Ed has always said this. If, uh, <laughs> if you don't make it around the mountain in faith... You're going to go around it again. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Went around the same mountain for over 40 years. Uh, you know, the distance from Egypt to the promised land, from what I understand from different commentaries, was an 11-day journey, but it took them 40-something years. Why? Rebellion, stiff neck, uh, disobedient, no faith. And God finally had, he tried, he worked with that generation. And finally, he had to just condemn the whole generation. Well, none of y'all are going in. And when you all die out, I'll take in the next generation. And that's exactly what happened. They were hopeless. You know, uh, somebody that's stiff-necked and rebellious will suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. There's no fix for that. No remedy for somebody that's stiff-necked, rebellious, and unteachable. Because if you're that way, even God can't help you. If you can't receive the word, receive the teaching, then God can't help you. Here's what you need to do to change your life. Uh-uh, I ain't doing that. No help for you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm taking my time today because, like I said, I got it. But anytime you talk to God about advancement, when you ask God for, to move up further, ask him for more responsibility, ask him for a bigger blessing or whatever it is, God will always tell you to go deeper. You want more, you got to go deeper. 
you can't have it at the level you're living now because if you could, I would have already given it to you. But you got to go deeper if you want what you're asking for. And, you know, ankle deep is enough for some people, but for others it's not. I could go into what ankle deep does. Um, you know, there's <laughs> some people say, oh, well, that's somebody who goes to church once or twice a year, like Christmas and uh, Easter. <laughs> But I say that person ain't even in the river yet. He's not, he's not in the river. I'm talking about somebody that don't think anything about missing church here and there or, or missing a, uh, their time in the Word or missing prayer. They might be in, but they're only ankle deep. And then you got those who are waist deep. We can go into that and then uh, our knee deep, then waist deep, and then, of course, those that are over your head. But uh, each commitment or each depth is more commitment. And more responsibility. But along with that comes more rewards. Amen? And along with that comes more responsibility, deeper commitment, more challenges, more tests, more trials. But I'm telling you, as you make it through the trials, you go a little deeper. You go a little higher. Hallelujah. You know, it's like... When we decided to go to Ramah, that was over our heads. That was deep because, you know, we were giving up everything that we knew, our careers and, you know, our home and our friends and our relatives, everything that we grew up with, everything that was near and dear to us. And in order to do that, we had to give him complete control. People that go to Ramah or any, make any other commitment to a Bible college of any kind and quit careers and stuff like that, those are not ankle-deep, knee-deep, or waist-deep people. Those are people that just throw it out there and say, take me, Lord. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know how I'm going to do both go to school and work. I just went there trusting him. That's over your head. And trust me, a lot of times I wanted to swim back to the shore. It's just normal. Or at least want to get to the place where my little toes could touch the ground again. <laughs> but you have to surrender it all if you want it all. So in order for you to be able to achieve these things and then protect them from the enemy and the storms of life, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to strengthen your stakes and drive them deeper than they've ever been before. So the stakes, like I said, they'll represent a lot of things. Physical aspect of your life. The relationships in your life, the personal growth or wisdom in your life, the uh, spiritual growth in your life, they're all represented by the stakes, the length of them, the strength of them, how deep they're driven. And, uh, you know, if you're a person that's been growing spiritually over the years, your stakes have been getting longer and stronger, and you've been driving them deeper. It takes a lot more to move you than it did years ago. You know, when you had them little stakes, it was easy to blow you around get you to change your mind, get you to do things that you knew weren't right. But as you get older and you grow in wisdom and you grow in your relationship and you grow in the things of God and you're more versed with the word, you start getting stronger and stronger and it's hard to blow you around because your stakes are longer and they're deeper in the ground. Does it make sense? So I'm saying all that to say this, living in these times, the condition of our tent and the strength of it and 
along with our walk with God, could be a life or death situation. Amen. And I'm speaking from experience there. The thing that caused me to turn corners was the relationship I had with God, the things I knew about God, the knowledge I had about healing and uh, different things like that. Uh, if it wasn't for the strength that I had accumulated over the years and my tent pegs weren't, de- weren't deep enough, I wouldn't have made it through that. I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't have made it through that. But all glory be to God, not to me. I'm not trying to say that I'm this mighty man of faith and spiritual endowment. Uh, it, it was all God, but I knew what it took to get to that place. Hallelujah. And I had my doubts, too, but I had to fight them every day. Had to fight fear every day, but I had enough knowledge of the word to know that I could resist these things. They should have no control over me. And then, and there were several times I just said, I'm yours. I got into that deep, I got in so deep, my feet weren't touching the ground. I was swirling around in the river. I said, whatever you say, it's up to you. I don't care anymore. And you can get to that place in your life where you're so sick or you feel so bad that you say, either heal me or take me. At this point, it don't make me any difference. I don't care. Hallelujah. You're in control, God. And either way, I'm going to win, so I really didn't care. Yes, I wanted to stay around longer. I wanted to stay around more years. But you can get to a place where you say, heal me or take me, and really don't care which one he does. I know it sounds selfish, but until you've been there, don't judge me. But anyway, like it or not, we're living in these times, and uh, a lot of people think it's a burden, but I think it's a, a great privilege. I think we, we should be honored to be living in these times because even the prophets and the disciples, the apostles, wish that they could be living in these times that we're living in and be able to see the things that we're seeing. And they've seen some pretty wonderful things. They've seen some miracles, but they're saying that uh, they wish they were in our place because we're going to see greater things than they've seen. Maybe we haven't seen them yet, but they're starting. You can see them. You know, I see a, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand, and, and you know, they're starting. But we're going to see things that the prophets wish they could have seen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But anyway, we're going to have to deal with a lot of things as the return of Christ gets closer and closer. And, and we should know the signs and what the prophets told us to watch for. Just like in Matthew 24, the greatest prophet ever lived told us some signs to watch for. And, you know, signs are like you're on the highway and you're going somewhere. uh, You're going to Boogaloo, Mississippi. You're looking for a sign that says Boogaloo, 100 miles. And then Boogaloo, 80 miles. If you come to a sign that says Boogaloo, 120, turn around, you're going the wrong way. But what do the signs tell you? They tell you how close you're getting until finally you're there. And, and the closer you get, the more increase the signs get until you're finally there. It says, Boogaloo, here you are. And that's what the purpose of the signs are. God has shown us how close we are. 
But the first thing that we have to establish is the fact that Jesus is coming back. He is. <coughs> Excuse me. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. His return is imminent. What does that mean? That means he's coming. Like it or not, you can't stop him. He's coming. We don't know when. But God gives us signs to tell us when he's close. There's going to be what we call a second coming. We're celebrating his first coming right now. There's going to be a second coming where he'll actually set foot on the earth. And he'll come at at the battle of the army of Gedan. We'll be with him at that time. Because before he comes, there's going to be the rapture of the church. We'll be in heaven. And when he returns the second time, we'll be with him. (coughs) But this is not talking about the rapture here. Because the rapture is signless. There's no signs to indicate when the rapture is getting close. And so what we've been taught to do was uh, there's plenty of signs for the second coming. So watch the signs of the second coming back up seven years and you're going to be close to the rapture. Because it's exactly seven years. His second coming is exactly seven years after the rapture of the church. That's when we can start counting down a timeline on the prophetic clock. So we just look for the signs of his second coming, and then we know we're going to get raptured seven years before that. Amen? Hallelujah. We should be excited about that. But anyway, we'll get an idea of when he's coming. And, you know, Jesus himself prophesied his second coming or his return all throughout the Gospels. There's at least 44 scriptures outside of the four Gospels where the Lord's disciples talk about it. So Jesus talked about it through the Gospels, and the disciples talked about it after the Gospels, after Jesus went to heaven. They all talked about his return. Why? Because it's important. God doesn't want it to be a secret. He wants us to know when he's coming back. And, you know, we for years, till COVID, we celebrated our Christmas banquet on the first Friday of every December, like clockwork, every year for 20, 20 something years and then COVID came and we skipped a year and uh, and then today we're celebrating his birthday his first coming to the earth with a dinner and a fellowship so the first time he came he made a very humble entry into the earth he came by way of that little handmaiden a 14 year old virgin girl he made his way into the earth very humbly very quietly it was predicted, it was prophesied, but he come in quiet. He didn't come in like a storm. But his second coming, mm-mm. He's coming as the line of the tribe of Judah. He's coming as the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He's coming on a white charger with all the glory and pomp of heaven behind him, and we're going to be with him. That's, you talk about an army. You talk about a cavalry, because we're all going to be on horses. He's going to be leading us. And we're coming down to the earth to the battle of Armageddon. And we're not even going to have to fight in it. He's going to destroy them, destroy the enemy with the brightness of his coming. All he's going to do is show his glory and the flesh is going to melt off the enemy. And there has to be somebody to clean that mess up because you're talking about millions of dead bodies. And you know right now there's over 170 different species of predatory birds that have gathered in Israel in the Middle East. Right now, 
from all over the world. They're there. 170 different species have been counted. Why? That's the cleanup crew for the Battle of Armageddon. Hallelujah. You don't think God's coming back? He's coming. Praise the Lord. He's coming. And we better be ready when he gets here. Because if you're getting ready, what? You ain't ready. If you're preparing, what? You ain't ready. When Noah and Lot warned the people of their day concerning God's coming judgment and destruction, because that's what it's going to be. Second time he comes, there's going to be judgment and destruction. And uh, he's warning us, and we're warning the world, just like Noah and Lot did. But they wouldn't listen no more than the people of the world today are listening. They're not listening either. Instead, they looked at Noah and Lot and me and Pastor Ed and Brother Daryl as whack jobs and extremists. If you preach the end time or you preach Jesus is coming back or if you preach sin and repentance, you're a whack job in today's society. You're an extremist. You're way out there in la-la land. But <laughs> then when the destruction did come, and we find that the people that were warned by Lot and Noah, they were totally unprepared. They were not ready. They were unready. And, you know, ready is ready. There's no in-between for ready. And it won't be any different for today's world at his second coming. And unfortunately, it's going to be the same way for most of the church at the rapture. A lot of the church is going to get caught by surprise at the rapture. And if they're surprised at the rapture, they ain't going in the rapture. Saved. They're saved, but not prepared, not ready, and they'll be left behind. Good people, Christian people, tongue talkers will be left behind. And it won't be because they weren't warned. And it won't be because they didn't know. It'll be because they refused to listen, believe, or prepare. That'd be why they get left behind. And when he comes, the lost will certainly be surprised. The lost will be surprised. They're living in darkness. We're the children of light. We're living in light. That means we're living in understanding and revelation and knowledge. He told us he's coming back. So we shouldn't be caught by surprise. As a matter of fact, your lost loved one may look at you or look at Jesus and say, why didn't you tell me you were coming? And Jesus will look at him or her and he'll say, because you didn't know me. I knew you, but you didn't know me. And even if I told you, you wouldn't have believed it. You didn't want to hear it. However, Jesus will say, I did tell someone that you might have listened to. I told your saved, born-again, church-going, hand-raising, hallelujah, shouting, brother, sister, mother, daughter, father, uncle, aunt, cousin. I told them. Matter of fact, I told every one of them that I knew, knew me, and knew you, I told them to tell you I was coming. Did they tell you I was coming? Did they tell you I was coming? 
Selah. Luke, <laughs> Luke 17, 26. Boy, it's quiet in here. I think it's because y'all are tired and hungry or something, but it's quiet. You may be the only link to that lost loved one. The only link. And Jesus told you to tell them that he's coming. You better tell them. You're not responsible for what happens after that. But you better know that you prayed hard enough, you loved hard enough, and you talked to them in a, in a way that would not make them feel little or less important than you. And if you did all of that, none, nothing else is up to you. It's all up to the Lord after that. Luke 17, 26 says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. This is Jesus talking. If he said it's going to be like that today as it was back then, then guess what? It's going to be like that today as it was back then. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Except eight people. Eight people. And not all eight of them were righteous. They tagged along with Noah. They got a free ride with Noah. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Just living life. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. How's it going to be when the Son of Man is revealed? People with surprised looks on their faces. As in the days of Noah and Lot, the soon coming return of the Lord Jesus will be a snare unto the people that didn't listen to the warnings or heed the warnings that were given. Warnings just like today. Right now, a great part of the church is asleep at the wheel. If I told you some of the things that's going on in, this, in, in the church world, you'd be aghast. You wouldn't believe it. Fear running rampant in churches. I can show you pre, pre, uh, pictures of well-known preachers standing on an empty stage preaching to a spread out congregation and wearing a mask. The preacher's wearing a mask. That's how much fear is in the church. I can show you church doors that still have chains and locks on them since COVID, since the shutdown of COVID, still locked up, having never reopened. The church world is a mess. I like to say it like this, much of the church is asleep at the wheel. There might be a light on, but nobody's home. I better quit before I get in trouble on this one. But, but you know, uh, God's people need to wake up before it's too late. And, and uh, we need to get fear out of the church and faith back in. And we need to stand up in the face of the enemy and tell them that we're not going to be pushed around anymore. 
We're not locking down. We're not masking up. We're not vaccinating if we don't want to get vaccinated. We're not doing what you want us to do. I can show you a sign, a church sign, that said you must show proof of vaccination or you'll not be allowed to enter. Church. A church. So if, if, if you can't enter without a vaccination, ain't no lepers getting in there for, <laughs> for sure. Ain't no people with communicable diseases getting in there for sure. And it wouldn't make any difference anyway because nothing's going to happen. God ain't, God ain't going to be in there for sure. That's today, though. So the church, a lot of the churches are asleep at the wheel. They're caught up in the cares and the riches of this world, and they're too, too busy. That's what Noah's generation and Lot's generation was doing. They were too busy with the cares of life to even think about Jesus, or let alone his second coming. As in the days of Noah, people were carrying on with their worldly lives, and the Bible says eating, drinking, and marrying... And, you know, uh, I know the, the restaurant industry took a terrible hit because of COVID. They took a tremendous hit. A lot of them didn't recover. But yet, if you look around, they're opening new restaurants all over. Uh, I just seen one that made me clap my hands and jump for joy. The pita place or something like that on... Hurstbourne, it's, it's in the old Qdoba restaurant, but it's uh, the Pita Place or the Pita Works or something like that, and it's Mediterranean food. They got gyros. They got, uh, you know, lamb, beef kebabs, chicken kebabs, vegetable kebabs, basmati rice, all the nice, tasty uh, Mediterranean food, which I really love. I was tickled when I seen it. They're opening. They're opening all. There's all kinds of new restaurants opening up. Why? Eating, drinking, and being merry. They opened up another Drake. I don't know somewhere in Louisville, and the Drake is one of them where it has these big garage doors all the way around it. In the summertime, they open the garage doors, and you can see right into the bar, and people are sitting in there eating, drinking, and being merry. I mean, there's a lot of that going on today. But while they're doing that, they're ignoring God's call and they're ignoring his warnings to repent. There's nothing wrong with that because soon first chance I get, I'm going to the pita works or pita pita, whatever it is. And I'm going to eat and drink soda pop and be merry. Amen. <laughs> Eating good food makes me merry. That's why they have happy meals. If that, don't make, if that meal <laughs> don't make you happy, get your money back. I mean, they said it's a happy meal. It's supposed to make you happy. But you ever see kids' faces? They get that little bag, a little box or whatever it is, their happy meal in it. They happy. That's how I am at a Greek restaurant. That's how I am at most restaurants. Big smile on my face. I'm happy. But then the storm came. The flood came. The, the, the storm of fire from heaven. And, and they were caught unprepared. Weren't ready. And the same is going to happen at the rapture when Jesus returns and at his second coming. He's going to catch the church by surprise at the rapture. They won't get caught by surprise for the second coming because they'll be ready then, I guarantee you. But they're going to catch the world unprepared at the second coming. 
and they're going to say, man, I heard a preacher preach about that. I heard I, I turned on the television by chance one day and there was a preacher talking about Jesus coming back. And I listened for a few minutes, but then I said, ah, and I flipped the channel. They're going to remember them times. God don't destroy anybody that he hasn't warned or worked with. Never. That would be out of character for him. But, he, you know, he's been telling us for years, judgment is coming. Get ready. But the Bible is full of blessings, wonderful, happy promises. And at the same time, it's full of judgment and it's full of consequences and punishment for the disobedient. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And so the people that are going to suffer the consequences are the people that were unprepared, the people that weren't looking for them to return. Now, I don't know if you're going to leave here today and keep your eye, at least one eye on the eastern sky or what, but I know one thing, you know he's coming back. You'll remember that much when you leave here today. And if you're not ready, I pray you're getting ready. Again, I have to warn you, getting ready is what? Not ready. But if you're sincerely getting ready, you'll eventually be ready. He's going to return, there's no doubt about it, so don't miss out on it. Uh, just because you were too caught up in this life, too caught up in the cares and riches of this life that you didn't have time for God. You better make time for him and you better get closer than you've ever been. And we've been preaching that for a long time in this church. Get closer to God. The closer it gets to his return, the closer you should be to him. Because we're living in the end times. There's no doubt about it. You can deny it, you can stick your head in the sand, you can say, I don't believe that stuff, or it ain't never going to happen, or, you know, why, that don't make sense, and you can do all those things. And, and I know there's been a lot of preaching like this for centuries, and at the same time, people scoffing and mocking at the preaching of Christ's return. And, and you know, I can tell you what Peter says, I got, I got the passage here, but... <coughs> People are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all you guys been doing is preaching about Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You've been preaching that for 2,000 years. He ain't come yet. And it's true. I mean, uh, you can see in, in the book of Th uh, Thessalonians, the first and second books of Thessalonians, where Paul was preaching as though Jesus was coming back in his time. I mean, it's been like that since the rapture of the church, or not the rapture, since the uh, birth of the church on the day of Pentecost. That's where we, ended into, we entered into the last days, on the day of Pentecost. So uh, we've been looking at his coming for a long time. We've been warning of his coming for a long time. And like I said, people are uh, mocking us for it and, and just saying that, you know, you've been saying that for years and nothing happened yet. But then in 2 Peter uh, 3, verses 9 and 10, it tells us why. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise to return, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He knows there's a lot of people not under your tent covering yet. He knows there's a lot of people you need to get in your tent. And so he's been long patient and enduring and long suffering, giving you time to get those people in your tent. 
And then he says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. How many knows a thief don't call you three days ahead of time until he's coming? Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Even the earth is going to be judged. The atmosphere of the earth is going to be judged. And this is not the end of the world. This is a renewing of the existing earth, a renewing of the existing world. Everything of a sinful nature is going to be burned up. You know, I've seen experiments where they release a gas or a vapor into the air and then they ignite it somehow and the whole thing goes and it's gone. But that patch of air that it just went in is purified. There's nothing bad in it. Everything's been purified. It only lasts for a second or two. But that's what's going to happen in the end. Everything's going to be purified with a fire like that, an intense fire. I don't know what he's going to do with the people on the earth. Maybe pull them up into the atmosphere and then purify the earth, bring them back down, and then purify it. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. Everything of a sinful nature is going to be burned up, and the earth and the atmosphere is going to be purified, just like it was in the, in the beginning when he, when he created everything. And our generation is going to be the first generation to, to see all of these biblical signs be fulfilled. And, uh, you know, the biggest one is in 19... I don't want to spend time on the signs because most people don't listen to them anyway, but the biggest sign was the fig tree. Israel becoming a nation in 1948. That was the major sign uh, that the generation that's living at that time when Israel became a nation will be the generation that will see the return of the Lord. But what really sealed it was the Six-Day War when they got Jerusalem back. Now I know for sure that this is the, the generation that's going to see all these things fulfilled. Amen. So Jesus says something in our opening scripture about the signs that prove to us that without a doubt we're living in the final days. And, and uh, of course we don't set dates and times. People have done that and made fools out of themselves and fools out of the church for doing it. Uh, we don't set days and times because Jesus said no man knoweth the day or the hour. So, uh, like I said, people have tried to predict this time, you know, oh, the end of the world is coming in so many days, so many months, so whatever. And then it didn't happen. And so he looks stupid and the church he represents looks stupid. And, it, and, and it's nothing but a ploy of the devil. It's a trick of the devil to get you to the place where you say, ah, and you don't even look for any part of his return. Because every time you hear about the return of Jesus, you're going to say, ah, them end time doomsayers. And so he's trying to get us to the place where we won't heed the warnings. And like I said, I, I'm not going to get into this big signs and all of that, but all I want you to learn is that he's coming and he's coming soon. Matthew 24, 33 says, So likewise, this is after the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe still preaching it, but so likewise you, when you shall see these things, the signs, know that it is near even at the doors. And we're certainly now seeing all these things. 
In Matthew 24, Jesus spoke of wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, persecutions, pestilence, and such things. But he says that these are just the beginning of sorrows. When you see these things, I mean, this past two years have been sorrowful times. And if you listen to the left news media, fake news line media, we're going to be in for some tougher times. And uh, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I'm telling you, Wednesday I prophesied. I predicted a lot of the future, and, and I'm seeing it. Just yesterday I seen these, all these panic-type headlines, and uh, Omicron is going to be one of the most deadly, and uh, we have to uh, get vaccinated now more than ever before. And, you know, they're trying to get you to take a vaccine that was designed for a particular disease, and we're long past that disease now. They need to develop or enhance this vaccine if it's going to work for the new variants. But they're not doing that. They're just telling you, get vaccinated. And, and so they're trying to create this panic. They're trying to... And I'm telling you, a lockdown is coming. Uh, an attempted lockdown is coming. Because I know there's going to be more people that say no than will lock themselves down this time. First time they got us by surprise. We just didn't know. Now we know. But anyway, he said that these are the beginnings of sorrow and the end is not yet. And the word sorrows in the original language means birth pains. Birth pains, not pains. P-A-N-G-S, but it means a sharp pain, so you can say birth pains or birth pains, they're similar, but it's the type of pain that a woman experiences in childbirth. Now, trust me, man, I know this by the Spirit. We have never experienced pain like that. I've experienced a lot of pain, I know you guys have as well, but this is a special pain assigned only to women. It's the pain that God told Eve that she would have in childbearing, and we don't get it unless you bear it. Well, nowadays they got men having babies. I don't know. Maybe they're getting birth pains, but uh, uh, you don't get this kind of pain. This is a special kind of pain reserved for women only. Amen. But, you know, birth pains, they speak of frequency and intensity. As you get closer to the birth of the child, the pains come more frequently and they get more intense. And that's why Jesus said, this is the beginning of sorrows. He says they're going to get more and more frequent. How many knows that we're having more earthquakes, more pestilences, more upheavals of nature? You know, Hawaii was supposed to get 12 inches of snow. Hawaii. If that ain't an upheaval of of, uh, nature, I don't know what is. But we're getting them uh, more frequently now and of a greater intensity. I mean, we have earthquakes now that they never even dreamed of 2,000 years ago. Same thing with with everything else that's going on. Uh, Increase in pestilence. You know, we had a few diseases. They popped out some vaccines back in the 40s or whatever it was. You know, polio, measles, chicken pox, things like that. And, And that was it. Matter of fact, they believed back then with the knowledge they had of, of uh, penicillin and erythromycins and all of that and the antibiotics that they had, that they said we would never have to worry about another, another disease. They were wrong, weren't they? Why? More, in, more frequency, more intense. 
So, you know, he, the reason he, he said that he used birth pains as an example is because uh, this is also true for the approaching of his second coming or the, or the end times. And the signs actually began not long after Jesus left the earth because it started on the day of Pentecost. That was the, the beginning of the last days. And so uh, that's when we started watching signs. That was the beginning of sorrows was 2,000 years ago. Not, not when COVID came out two years ago. The beginning of sor- sorrows was 2,000 years ago. That's when the birth pangs started. And ever since then, they're getting closer together, more frequent, and more intense. You know, when the woman first gets ready to go to the hospital, I had two experiences with this. You know, they say, oh, I'm getting some pains. I think it's time. And, you know, the husband freaks out. He's running all over the house trying to find his suitcase and everything. He's supposed to bring you to the hospital. And some of them run off and leave their wife and have to come back. But it's a terrible thing, terrible thing. But I never did that. But, uh, and then you're at the hospital, and with Mike, Pastor Rev was in labor for 17 hours. My right hand was three times smaller than my left hand when she finally went to the delivery room. And I'm telling you, when she got the pain, she made sure I felt it. Told me she hated me and everything else. (laughs) But I could tell the pains were getting closer together and more intense. That's why I said no man has ever felt the pain of real birth pains, because I'm telling you, I felt the residual effect of the birth pains, but never felt the birth pain. Bill Cosby said uh, the only way he can describe it is take your bottom lip and cover your face with it. He said that's just the beginning of, of pains. But anyway, the birth pains in the last days start on day of Pentecost. They're getting more frequent, more intense. I mean, more uh, earthquakes, more storms, more intense storms, intense earthquakes, more pestilence, more intense. I mean, it just keeps getting closer together and, and stronger as we get towards the end. That's one of our signs. That's what tells us we're getting close. I just looked at the clock, and I think we are getting close. But I just want to say this. Jesus is coming, and we're a lot closer than we think we are. I don't know how close. I don't know exactly how long, but uh, I think we're closer than we think anyway. So get prepared. Get ready. Be ready. Don't let it catch you by surprise. And it's not the end of anything. I know a lot of people say, man, I got life to live. I got, you know, I want to do this and do that. And I want to get married and have children. No, it's not the end of all that. It's the beginning of everything that you think it's the end of. It's not. It's not the end of life. It's the beginning of real life. Just like when somebody dies, they say, oh, it's over for him. No, it ain't. It's just beginning for him. And uh, I've said this probably at every funeral I've ever done, that, you know, if they had a choice to come back, they wouldn't. Because they got the first real taste of life. And we got a good life down here. We're enjoying life. You know, there's a lot of things we have down here to enjoy, but it doesn't compare to what Jesus has for us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that he's prepared for us. That's the way it is. We should be looking forward to it, but I know we're not. It took me years to learn how to do that. 
You're not going to look forward to it because I tell you to. You've got to learn that for yourself. But either way, uh, you'll be surprised. Amen? And it'll take the sting of death out of you. It'll take the fear of death out of you as well. If you really believe and you know what God has prepared for you, you won't even be afraid of death. Now, I'm not saying I'm in a hurry to go, but I ain't afraid of him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that I reach somebody here today, Lord. I pray that somebody that's not ready will start at least getting ready, preparing. And I, prepare, I pray that those that have been preparing for a long time will finally get to the place where they can say, I'm ready. I'm ready to face whatever's coming. My tent pegs are strengthened. They're deep in the ground. I'm not going to be blown around by the storms of life. My faith is built up. My, the word, the knowledge of the word is built up in me. My prayer life is built up. My relationship with God is built up. I'm ready for anything the devil has to throw at me today and in the days to come until Jesus returns. I thank you and I praise you for it. And I also pray, Lord, for this fellowship, the celebration of Jesus' birthday, his first entrance into the earth. I pray, Father, for the food that's back there. I pray for the hands that prepared it, the hands that will be serving it. I pray for each and every one that's going to be enjoying the bounty of your uh, earth, Lord. And I thank you for the fellowship that's going to be at these tables, that it will be rich and knowledgeable of you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.